Masechet Besadaf 20, and today is a continuation all about the concept of the machloket between Bet Hillel and Bet Shammai, number one regarding Semicha, in which Bet Hillel does allow uh, someone who brings a korban on Yom Tov to do Semicha, um, for example, the Shelamim, Shalmecha Giga, um, whereas Bet Shammai agrees that you can bring Shalmecha Giga, but you don't do semicha, and we'll see the sources for them. And also, we're going to get to um, uh, the other machloka between them, which is about an olat de'iyah, the olah that one uh, must bring on the holiday, which Bet Hillel says, yes, you can bring it on Yom Tov. And Bet Shammai would say, no, you can't bring it on Yom Tov, you have to bring it later. And we'll see um, some really amazing stories that occurred in the Bet HaMikdash uh, surrounding this controversy. So we begin here with the B'raita Taneh Tanah Kamed Rabbi Yitzchak Bar Abba. So this Tanah taught this, the following B'raita in front of Rabbi Yitzchak Bar Abba. And he quotes the Pasuk, kamishpat. So this is when the, during the inauguration of the Mishkan. Um, so Aaron took the Ola and he sacrificed it according to the regulation. So when it says that, according to which regulation? It's referring to a regulation that we know already. And the answer is Kemishpat Olat Nedava. So whereas what he was bringing was an Ola of Chovah, an obligatory Ola, they're saying that they made it the same as what was mentioned beforehand in Vayikra, and that was an Ola that's a voluntary Ola. And so we learn from this that um, the Torah says that an obligate and voluntary Ola requires Semicha. And we'll learn from here, since it compares them, it says he did this one like that one, that now a, a, an obligatory um, Ola also requires Semicha. Okay, so that's a lot to pack into just three lines there. And so to try to unpack it, <clears throat> here's how it goes. In the, if you look in the Torah itself, in the beginning of Ayikra, where it's describing the process, the procedures for all of the uh, sacrifices, it mentions only two that require semicha, the voluntary olah, go look there, it says, right, samachet yado, and also a voluntary shalamim, it says in Ayikra 3.2, that also requires semicha. The concept of semicha we know because we just had Yom Kippur, and it says the Kohen Gadol, the samach yado, he puts his hands on the sa'ir, and he says vidui, also on the pad, right? He says vidui on it. So the idea of semicha is that whoever is bringing it, um, and generally it's talking about an individual uh, korban, except for the pad, the sa'ir of amishtaleach is the one that's a communal one, but generally it would be an individual one, and I'm bringing it, why am I bringing it? I'm bringing it as a korban todah, so I'll place my hands, and I would say the reason that I'm bringing it. So that's really what makes the connection between the owner and the korban that he's going to bring. So the Torah only says it regarding voluntary olah and voluntary shalamim. So now our question, anyone who's reading the Torah, and you're going to try to put this into practice, Torah has some gaps in it, doesn't fill in every single case. And so we have to come and try to figure out what about the other cases? What about an obligatory obligatory olah and an obligatory shalamim? So it seems everyone agrees that an obligatory olah um, but both Bet Betiel and Bet Shemai will agree that it does require semicha. And here, Rabbi Yitzchak Bar Abba, the this Baraita that it was taught to him, uh, says that yes, we learn one from the other because it says the word kam mishpat. 
So since um, uh, Aharon was making an obligatory olah, and he did it according to that law, that law is the voluntary olah. So yes, so everyone's going to agree that if, you know, on a, a weekday you bring an obligatory olah, you have to do, um, you have to do semicha. Um, but Shammai is not, is, you know, is not going to be very, is not going to be uh, uh, going to be very few according to Bet Shammai where you'd actually be able to do it on Yom Tov. Um, okay, now the question is, how about a voluntary Shilamim? So here we didn't say anything yet. It seems according to Bet Shammai, you would not learn it. A voluntary Shilamim um, would, uh, requires, but an obligatory Shilamim would not require uh, doing Semicha. Okay, so that's what we have so far. Now, now we're going to ask about this. Amar le, so the Yitzchak asks the Tana, the Amar Lachmani, where'd you get this Baraita from? Who'd you hear? What school did you hear it from? Bet Shamaihi, the Lagamre Shalme Chova, Mishalme Nedava. This must be Bet Shamai because he would he would fit with this here. Um, he does not learn that obligatory Shalamim requires only voluntary Shalamim requires Samicha and not obligatory. So where therefore, it would make sense that he needs a special pasuk, this pasuk, Kamishpat, that says, that it says in Vayikra 9, he would need that to learn voluntary Ola requires, therefore obligatory Ola also requires. So this would be a good Bet Shammai picture. Um, because if it was Bet Hilel, Di Bet Hilel, Kivandi Gamre Shalmei Chova Mishalmei Tot Nedava, if it was Betilel, he's going to learn both of them through a binyan ab, so he doesn't need a special pasuk. So once since he's learning uh, that a shalme chova from shalme nedava, so too he can learn olat chova also from uh, so so too olat chova. He would not require a pasuk. He can learn it from olat nedava. In other words, this here, this uh, second paragraph. Betilel, option one, we're going to about to introduce another one. He would, Betilel would say, I don't need a special pasuk that says kamishpat, because since he already uh, has that voluntary shalamim, uh, it indicates that also obligatory shalamim, we'll learn one from the other. Through Binyanav, Binyanav says it's a similar case. The Torah doesn't have to mention every single time that it has to do it. This is a shalamim, that's a shalamim. So it's the same thing. You only mentioned semicha here. We can learn it here through binyan av. And so too, once he's doing that same methodology, apply it to Allah also. Torah only says voluntary Allah. We'll apply it ourselves to an obligatory Allah. So since he has binyan av and he applies it across the board, he would not need a special pasuk mishpat. Whereas Bet Shammai would require a special pasuk because he does not use a binyan av for shalamim. Once you don't use a binyan av for shalamim, he's not going to use a binyan av for Allah also. He's against using the binyan av in this case. We'll see why. So therefore, he would be the only one that re- would require an explicit pasuk to learn the Allah, ob- obligatory Allah from a voluntary Allah. So that is his challenge. That would be its like challenge to the um, to the res- to the reciter of the baraita, and it's, it is a challenge because you know you don't want to teach a baraita that's only bet shamai. So here we're going to try to answer it. Wait, now you just assume that according to betilel we learned the obligatory shalamim from the voluntary shalamim, but maybe not. There's another way to go. Maybe he learned it here, like option two, which is that um, we first have a voluntary olah that the Torah says requires semicha. We're going to learn from the special pasuk of Kamishpat in Baikra 9 that also an obligatory olah. 
Once we have that, then we make the comparison between two obligatory uh, korbanot, the obligatory olah requires um, uh, semicha, and therefore also obligatory shelamim requires semicha. So maybe we're going this way, and we're not learning from the voluntary shelamim. That's a separate one on the side. And so therefore, even according to Betilel, maybe he's not using a binyan av at all. And that, what, that is why he does require this pasuk from Kamishpat. And by saying it this way, now this baraita that was taught to the Bishlak can be according to Bet Hillel also. So, right, just make you just draw the arrows a slightly different way, and then we can explain it. Okay, good. So now that we have that, now just a question about why, why would you not make a binyanav, both Bet Shemai before and now Bet Hillel also, who doesn't require binyanav. How come you're not learning from the, uh, um, the voluntary Shalamim offering? Um, because, well, those are very popular. There's a lot of uh, voluntary shalim because everyone can bring it. I feel like I want to bring something, you want to bring something. So there's a lot of them. Um, the obligatory ones are relatively few. So since the voluntary ones have something special in that there's um, a lot of them, they're very common, maybe that's why you need semicha. You can't necessarily learn from something special to something that doesn't have that, 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 that uh, unique aspect. Um, if so, then we have a, a second problem. Then why can you learn olat chova? Also, also olat chova should not teach us about the shelamim because that is all burnt and it's an olah and shelamim is not burnt. So it has something special. Maybe that's why it requires. So in other words, if you're not going to learn this way, then maybe you also shouldn't learn this way. And so that is a problem for option two again. Or rather, you know what? It comes from between them, from both of them. So in other words, we'd have to draw another arrow here. So once you have two arrows, um, then this option can make sense as follows. <clears throat> the obligatory ola requires um, semicha. So this is also obligatory. So it makes sense that that should also require. Now you might object, oh, but this is an ola that's totally burnt. So it's something special. Uh, yeah, but that can't be the, the, uh, the key factor because after all, a voluntary shalamim also requires semicha. And that's just a shalamim, it's not all burnt. So we can use this to learn from here. If we had this only alone, though, we would say, well, a voluntary shalamim, there are a lot of them. So that's something special. Maybe that's why it requires semicha. But no, that cannot be the key factor because obligatory ola is not as common. And yet that requires semicha. So since these two, basically the common denominator cancel each other out, um, the, the unique aspects cancel each other out, and the common denominator between them um, is also something that's common to the obligatory shalamim, and that's how we learn from both of them. So option two is upheld, and therefore this badaita that we started, if can, started off with can be both Bet Shammai and also Bet Hillel, so everybody wins. Okay, now, now, is this true that according to Bet Shammai, um, obligatory shalamim does not require semicha, right? This is the one that is here, the empty space. According to Bet Shammai, voluntary shalamim requires, Torah says so, but obligatory ones do not require. Is that true? Is that true? According to this, but the Machloket is not about whether 
Bet Shammai requires it or not. It's just when he requires it. And according to this, so they didn't uh, argue on whether you need it or not. The only question is, do you, does Semicha have to be right before Shechita? Um, so Bet Shammai says it doesn't have to be. You could do the Semicha the day before, which would be in the case of Yom Tov, before Yom Tov. And then you would bring it on Yom Tov. And that will be fine. And that's, in fact, what he says in our Mishnah regarding the Shalmeh Chagiga. But Bet Hillel says, no, you have to do it right before. Like, you know, when you say your Beracha, you're supposed to say Beracha, then eat it right away to show that, you know, what you just said relates to the thing that you're about to do and not be distracted in between. So to here, you put the Semicha, this is what my animal's for, and then you do the, the, the Shechita right away. And so that is a Machloket, not that he doesn't need it at all, and this whole, so far beforehand, we were assuming that Bet Shammai does not require Semicha at all for an obligatory Shalamim. Uh, so what about that whole discussion before and that baraita that we quoted above? So no, he can, that baraita before can follow the following baraita that is authored by Rabbi Yoseh. Um, the first one was just this is different and he says the opposite they did not argue regarding that the, the timing that if you have to do semicha any case you have to do semicha has to be right before shechita and Bet Shemai would agree with that what do they argue about? about whether you need semicha at all in, in certain cases um, they, uh, like in the case of an obligatory shalamim um, Bet Shammai says you don't need it at all, and Bet Hidal says you do need it. And so you see there's a fundamental machloket between these two, but uh, the Biyo says on uh, whether Bet Shammai require, doesn't require it at all or requires it, but allows it to be the day before. All right, and now we get to um, uh, so two really, really important stories. So now we're going back to the times of the Bet um, uh, you know, first century BCE. He himself brought a korban to the azara, to, and it's ola, right? So this is ola tri'iya, and he's going to do semicha. There's a Tosefta version of this that says v'samach, and he actually did semicha. Um, okay, so now, so this is, um, this follows Bet Hillel's uh, um, uh, uh, theory, uh, opinion, and this is Hillel himself doing it. And Bet Shammai are going to disagree with him on two points. Uh, number one, that it's an Ola, and they say you can't bring an Ola, um, uh, Ola to the Iya on Yom Tov. And they also say you can't do Semicha on Yom Tov. So, Chavru Alav Talmideh Shammai Hazaken. The student of, students of Shammai ganged up on him. I see, interestingly, here you don't have. Bet Hillel, Bet, and Bet Shammai, the houses only come after their, their, their lifetimes. That's it. They, you know, they're, that's their, the schools that they um, institute. Here we're talking about the original personalities themselves and their students. So the students of Shammai gang up on him and they give him a hard time. Say, what kind of animal is this here that you're, that you're bringing on Yom Tov? And Hillel said, no, no, it's a female. Now, see, if it's a female, then it has to be a shelamim, um, because uh, Allah has to be a male. So he says, no, it's a female, and I'm bringing it for shelamim. And Bet Shammai agrees that you're allowed to bring a shelamim. 
And so uh, and Shammai uh, swung the tail for them, kind of like uh, obscuring the uh, uh, them from seeing whether it's a male or a female, or kind of like, you know, make offering, hey, you want to check for yourself? And they said, okay, no, no, we, we, we trust you. And they left. And so this is an amazing story because you see how heated this debate was that they're like ganging up on him. And I don't know, were they threatening, you know, violence to him that to the extent that he had to lie and say, no, no, it's, it's not a male. It's a female. In fact, it was a male because it says he was bringing it as an Ola. And he was either about to do Semicha or in the Tosefta, he did Semicha. Okay, so then they left. So you see how strong the students of Shammai were trying to push their opinion to be the standard. And they were so strong, see Hillel back down. And so the house of Shammai became strong. Now they're called Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel. You see, in the beginning of the story, it's just Shammai and Hillel and their students. Um, okay, so But there was one student there. In other words, Bet Shammai was about to win. And that's it. They would they, they would declare halacha permanently to be like them. But there was one student of Shammai. His name was Baba Ben Buta. He was, he's famous because um, Herod the Great, while well, well, he killed many, many sages, he kept Baba Ben Buta alive to ask him advice. Um, so he must have been a really important person. And he knew that even though he was a member of the, of the student of, of Shammai, he knew that in this case, Hillel is right. He was convinced by Hillel's arguments. And so he wouldn't let this happen. He went and he, he got all the, the best animals. The sheep of Kedar is known to be the best animals in Jerusalem. He went and bought them all. And he put them in the courtyard and he invited. He said, anyone, anyone wants to come and do semicha, can do semicha. Who says you can do semicha? Hillel says it, and yet he did that. Now, um, in the Tosefta version, he adds, he says, anyone who wants to come and take an Ola or a Shalamim can come take an Ola or a Shalamim and do Samicha. That version um, is a little better because the beginning of the story was, um, was the key problem that they had was that he's bringing in Ola, and Shammai says, you can't bring in Ola. And so, well, really, it's two things. He was going to do Samicha and also bring in Ola. So in that version, he comes and offers both of them. Um, in this version, he doesn't mention Ola, but maybe it's implied. Yeah, so everyone can come and do semicha. So this public spectacle worked, and everyone says, oh, these fine animals, you're giving them out for free, and he's telling us we should do, we should do it this way. So since so many people came and they made Olot, and they did semicha on, on their animals. So in that way, it turned the tide. And then Betilel won. And they decided that immediately that halacha would be like Betilel. And no one dis- disputed the matter. Because after all, if Baba Ben Buta, who himself was part of Bet Shammai, went like Hillel, then no one else could argue. And that, uh, that saved the day. Uh, forever. So really an amazing story to, to just uh, picture um, this, uh, this scene in the Beit HaMikdash and how um, this was debated, not, in the, not, not by vote in the Beit Midrash, 
but by, by practical uh, application in the courtyard of the Bet HaMikdash. Good. Next story. And this is now about a student of Bet, uh, Bet Hillel. And he wanted to bring his Ola and he was going to do Semicha on it. This was probably in the, you know, a generation later. One of the students of Bet Shammai says, Hey, what are you doing, Semicha, over here today on Yom Tov? The student of Hillel says, oh, what is this quiet? In other words, be quiet. Mind your own business. So the student of Hillel uh, shut him up with a rebuke and uh, the student of Shammai uh, left, uh, left him alone. So you see that even after the first story in which it says, and no one disagreed, well, no one disagreed right then, but uh, the house of Shammai was still... Um, you know, was still uh, had, had rumblings and the holding on to their opinion. And uh, so every once in a while, somebody would, um, would would speak up about it. And so you had this little scuffle <clears throat> um, even a generation later. Okay, and now we have an extremely important statement, Abaye learns a positive lesson from this scuffle, which is that a, uh, a Torah scholar, um, if, his, if his colleague says something, some you know, an insult or, or inappropriate statement, he, you should not answer in the way that escalates. Don't say something back more than what he told you. Now, if someone insults you, you don't have to be quiet and do nothing. So you're okay, you can, you're allowed to defend yourself, but don't escalate it to the next level. So since the student of Shammai said, hey, what is this doing, Semicha? And he answered and says, what, what, what is this that you're, that you're talking? How come you're, how come you're not being silent? So he used the same type of phrase. He answered on an equal level and didn't take it to the next level. And this is um, extremely important and uh, relevant advice. All right. And now we get back to halacha. Tanya, this is also now a conversation. I mentioned in the Beraita, a conversation between Bet Hillel and Bet Shammai, where they argue with each other, not by, uh, not by threatening each other, but rather by making learned arguments with Kalva Chomed and, um, about who, um, which opinion is right regarding, regarding um, um, bringing these animals uh, on Yom Tov. Amru lahem Bet Hillel Bet Shammai. So he says, in the place where hejot means um, a common person, meaning in uh, and here it simply means in your in your own house, everybody as opposed to the bet mikdash. So if in a case where a, a person in their own houses are not allowed to cook, in other words, Shabbat, right? A Shabbat, no, no one's allowed to cook. Mutala gavoa, yet in the bet mikdash. On Shabbat, you're allowed. They bring korbanot. They bring musaf, right? On the the, uh, uh, the various obligatory korbanot of the day. So makom and Then, then in a case where people in their houses can cook, meaning on Yom Tov, you can go ahead cook a meal. You can make barbecues and Then all the more so, it should be permitted to make offerings in the Bet Hamikdash. Not only the uh, the standard offerings. But even olat um, um, that although I'm not going to eat it. So see, shalamim bet shemai would agree because shalamim the owners eat. But with they're focusing on olat the olat 
the Allah that a person come, who comes and sees the Bet HaMikdash has to bring. So Bet Hillel's argument is that if I can cook at home for myself, then all the more so it should be permitted to cook in the Bet HaMikdash, even though it's going to be an Allah, and Allah to the Yash should be allowed. Bet Shemai says, no, I'll bring a counter argument to you because you agree with me that voluntary offerings are not brought on Yom Tov. Um, and, so, and even though you can cook at home and you can just take a regular animal and make a barbecue, and yet voluntary offerings are not allowed in the Bet HaMikdash. So if those aren't allowed, then, then why should you allow Ola to the Iya? All right, this is a good point. Okay, those voluntary offerings are have no are not time bound. If I'm bringing a korban toda, I could bring it any time during the year, so I don't have to violate Yom Tov for it. Whereas in Olat it has is time bound. I have to bring it on the holiday, so that's why there's a difference between them. No, I disagree because also is not time bound. Look at what the Mishnah says. If you didn't bring a Korban Chagiga on the first day of Yom Tov, you can bring it any day of the holiday, including Chol Moed. You could also bring it the last day of the holiday on Shemini Aseret. The point is that I don't have to bring it on Yom Tov. I can bring it during Chol HaMoed. And therefore, it's the same as, um, as the voluntary offerings, which also I don't have to bring on Yom Tov. So you have no proof. I call that time bound because you're right. I can bring it on Chol HaMoed, but I can't bring it after the holiday. The Mishnah continues and says, if the entire holiday finished, then I can't bring it anymore, right? I'm not responsible for it. There's no makeups. So you see that I only have a few days to bring it, right? Seven days, eight days to bring this, uh, this offering. So since it's so limited to begin with, I don't want to shave off two more days and say you can't even bring it on Yom Tov because then that's going to really limit it and people won't have enough time and they won't be able to bring it. So therefore, Betty Lel says, I call that, this is time sensitive, and therefore you have to bring it on Yom Tov. And Bet Shemai says, no, um, you can bring it on Cholam There's no need to bring it on Yom Tov. All right, and final argument, the very pasuk that from which we learn that you're allowed to cook on Yom Tov, um, it says, um, right, right, uh, only you're not allowed to do melacha on Yom Tov, except that what you're allowed to eat. So that you can do lachem for yourselves. So you see that the very pasuk from which we learn, right? So only that what that you can eat are you allowed to cook. So you see that the lachem says only what you're going to eat and excludes what the, what, what the gavoa, excludes what will be burnt in the Bet HaMikdash. So that is not, you can't cook for that reason. So Bet Shemai is a good point of, from the word lachem. Amru lahem bet yedel v'alo kivad neymar lahashem kol de lahashem. This is v'chagoto v'chagoto oto chag lahashem. V'chagotem oto chag lahashem. So it says lahashem, and on yesterday's daf, we learned from here that 
We learned from the word Lashem that not only can you bring Chagiga, you can also bring the Ola to the Iyah that goes up to heaven. So Betilal says, You brought a Pasuk, I have a Pasuk also. It says Lashem. Well, so Bet Shemai could say, Well, what do you do with the word Lachem then? Because Lachem means only that which you can eat and not what, um, not the bet, to exclude the Bet Mikdash. And Betilal would say, No, the Lachem is not excluding Bet Mikdash. Bet Mikdash also you can cook for. So the word lachem is to exclude uh, non-Jews and also um, uh, uh, dogs. Okay, this is, um, if you read this out of context, it could seem very derogatory. Um, but the, 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 it, they don't mean to be derogatory. The point is that the only reason you're allowed to cook on Yom Tov is to increase the celebration of Yom Tov. But that only applies to people who are, in fact, celebrating Yom Tov. So since you're celebrating, so Jews who are celebrating, they can cook on on Yom Tov for the benefit of their celebration of Yom Tov. Non-Jews who are not celebrating the holiday, um, one, a Jew cannot violate the holiday on behalf of a non-Jew who's not celebrating the holiday. And the same thing would go for his pets, for his dog. You can't cook um, on Yom Tov you cook for yourself. You can't cook for a dog because the dog is also not celebrating the holiday. <clears throat> this is a practical halacha because according to this, it would be a problem to invite a non-Jew over for a meal on Yom Tov because then you're going to be cooking for them. On Shabbat, it's okay. You can invite a non-Jew to join you for a Shabbat meal because on Shabbat, you're not cooking at all, not for yourself and not for the non-Jew. So it's fine. So um, the only way it would be allowed, like if a non-Jew popped in and you didn't know he was going to come. And so then that means you didn't cook for him and you just happened to come. And well, if you have, you have, uh, some, you have enough food for, for everyone, then that would be okay. Um, but if you know that he's coming and then that means you have in, my, have in, my, in mind when you're cooking, that could in fact be a problem. Also, if someone has a pet and if they, uh, uh, you know, um, would, would cook extra uh, to give something to the pet, that will be a problem on Yom Tov as well. Okay, but this is how Betilel uh, deals with that. Lachem, Lachem refers to those two categories and does not exclude Gavoa. And that's why he says you're allowed to bring Olat on the holiday. <clears throat> All right, so that's the past thing discussion. Um, and you see their proofs and disproofs. You know, they're really good, good points both ways. Abbas Shaul, Abbas Shaul had a similar um, argument, just the beginning part of it but with slightly different words. It says in a more dramatic way. In the case where your oven is closed, meaning on Shabbat, your oven is shut, and yet the oven of your master is open, meaning God's oven, meaning that the Bet HaMikdash, the altar is, is going. So even if when yours is closed, and in the Bet HaMikdash is open, then, in the case where your oven is open on Yom Tov, you're cooking for yourself, all the more so, it should be allowed to open the ovens in the Bet HaMikdash and be allowed to bring lots of types of korbanot, including Olat um, Reya and maybe other things too. Um, and so this is what Bet Hillel says to Bet Shammai and adds, And furthermore, it's not appropriate. It's not correct that 
your your table should be full because in our tables on Yom Tov, we're making barbecues and cooking and having a full table. And yet in the Bet HaMikdash, they're only bringing the bare minimum things of obligatory uh, offerings, and that's it. And so the Bet HaMikdash is very empty. That's, that's, that's not appropriate. That's not nice. So you see, according to this version, um, it uses a lot more flowery imagery, right? And this kind of is more convincing uh, because you see, you know, you compare the two tables like this in the, you know, the closed oven. Um, now, what's the difference between, besides it being more dramatic? There's a further difference that according in Abba Shaul's version, you see, since he says that the table is full, sounds like there's lots and lots of korbanot. According to that, that would follow the opinion that we saw yesterday in that baraita that said, according to Bet Hillel, you can even bring voluntary offerings, voluntary shalamim uh, uh, that I, I decided I'm going to bring like a korban tamid. Bet Hillel would say you can even bring those on Yom Tov. So, so that would fit with Abba Shaul. And whereas the first version that we saw without this dramatic language, that would say, that was t- talking only about Olat Re'iyah, which was mentioned explicitly in that baraita and would not allow Korban Nedarim So this baraita, um, the long one, would follow the opinion of Ula yesterday that the only argument between Betil and Bet is Olat Re'iyah and not voluntary offerings. Okay, and uh, we're going to um, end off with a few points um, about the, these, uh, these two opinions. According to the version that says that we do not bring voluntary offerings on Yom Tov, um, not even Bet Hillel says you don't do it. This would be Ula's opinion from yesterday. Don't say that you can bring voluntary offerings. And it's, it's Rabbanan that came and made and said not to, because we're worried. Then, you know, you could bring this all year long and now you're going to wait and you're going to bring it on the, only on Yom Tov. So you're going to be waiting a long time and delaying and you want, you're just going to use Yom Tov time for something that you really should have done before. So don't say that that's okay. And the rabbis are the ones that made said it's, it's, not, it's not allowed. Even, in, even according to the Torah, you're not allowed to bring voluntary offerings. And how does he know that? How does Rav Huna know that? On Shavuot, we bring the two loaves of bread. And if Shavuot would fall out on Shabbat, although you offer them, wave them on, on the holiday, but you don't bake them on Shabbat. On that day. Nevertheless, um, in that case, there's no reason to worry that you might delay because after all, the mitzvah only occurs on that day. It's a mitzvah that is only done on Shavuot, on Yom Tov. Um, so you're just not, it's not, you're not, you're not going to worry that, oh, we, you know, we should have done it any time during the year. It only can be done now. And nevertheless, we do not bake it, not on Shabbat, not on Yom Tov. We bake it from the day before. So you see that in general, voluntary offerings may not be brought on Yom Tov. And that's a deoraita law. And not only a worry that you might delay it for the last minute. Um, okay, so that's point number one. Next point, Ibaya lehu. According to the same opinion of Ola that you don't bring um, voluntary offering. What if you did? 
Aval veshachat mai. You went and you brought your korban toda, and you're not supposed to bring it, but you did shechita, and now it's there, dead on the floor. Um, the question is, do you sprinkle the blood or not? Now that it's already killed, right? You already violated whatever you violated. Rava Amar zoreket adam amnat latir basar ba'achila. Rava says, and now, and once you did that, go ahead and sprinkle the blood because that's not, you know, that's not a there's no, there's no melacha in doing that. So sprinkle the blood on the mizbeach, and at least that way you can eat the meat um, on Yom Tov. And uh, so, because it's a shalamim, so then now you can eat the meat. See, with the, any any korban, you're not allowed to eat the meat until you sprinkle the blood. So better to sprinkle the blood and allow it will be allowed to eat the meat. At least now you justify the shechita somewhat. Um, whereas if you don't eat it at all, then it's all going to go to waste. You did shechita not for the purpose of eating. So that makes sense. Abbas is a different thing. You should do, you should sprinkle the blood now so that at night we can take the pieces of the korban that go on the mizbeach so that we can put them on at night. Because those also, they can't be burnt on the, on the mizbeach unless you sprinkled the blood. So he's more concerned about finishing up the required parts that go on the mizbeach. Okay, so these are two opinions. What would be a practical difference between them? Difference would be, let's say, the edible parts of the meat, let's say they became tameh, and now you, no one can eat them because you're not allowed to eat. Or let's say they got lost, right? They're gone. I don't know, a bird came and took them away. So now if there's nothing else to eat, if there's nothing to eat, then, then there's no point in, in sprinkling the blood because it's not going to allow you to eat anyway. According to the second opinion, that it's for the sake of the nighttime when Yom Tov is over, that you can um, put the parts on the Mizbeach. So it doesn't matter if the edible parts are gone or Tameh, because you can still put the uh, those the sacrificial parts on the Mizbeach. And so that then you would still sprinkle the blood. And last question, Back to Shavuot, along with the two loaves, um, on Shavuot, we also bring two um, uh, two lambs as shelamim to accompany them. So, what if you do you uh, you did shechita on them, but you had the wrong intention? You had in mind that there would be an ola or something else, or or you did it at the wrong time, either too early or too late. In that case, and you're doing it on Yom Tov. So this will be a similar thing, like you're allowed to do this on Yom Tov because it's necessary, but now you had the wrong intention. Whenever you have a wrong intention like this, the animal itself is valid, it's a valid sacrifice, but it just doesn't fulfill that obligation. So it doesn't fulfill the obligation of it, but the animal itself is a kosher sacrifice. So this is similar to the case before. Um, so in that case, you do sprinkle the blood, and you eat the and you eat the uh, uh, and you eat the meat. Okay, good. Shabbat If it's Shabbat, however, no, then we do not allow the person. We do not allow him to do zedika. If you did sacrifice it on Shabbat, even though you're not supposed to, then you could go ahead and um, uh, offer the the, the 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 sacrificial parts at night. So you see here it says im zarak diavad in the chatechila la only if you did it is okay but otherwise not. 
So in other words, we should, you should not do it on Shabbat. Um, we understand this makes sense according to Rava, because according to Rava, you would only sprinkle it in order to eat it. But on Shabbat, you're not allowed to eat it. You can't cook anything on Shabbat, not even to eat yourself. So it makes sense why Rava would say, no good, don't sprinkle it on Shabbat. But this question of Rabbi according to him, the reason to sprinkle it would be so that after Shabbat, you could put the sacrificial parts on the Mizbeach. And that you would be able to do on Shabbat. So, and that doesn't violate Shabbat because you're doing it after Shabbat. So what would be the problem? Why would you not uh, be able to sprinkle it on, uh, on Shabbat? Kashyan, we end to say, it's a good question, a good challenge to Rabbah Barav Huna. But then we say, or if you want to try to help him out, we can say, maybe the, um, the, the decree against doing this kind of work on Shabbat um, is different from Yom Tov. So he would say, Rabbah Barav Huna would say, on Yom Tov, we're more lenient. And so therefore you can sprinkle it on Yom Tov so that you can offer it on afterwards. Whereas this low-level rabbinic, not, it's not Doraita, um, sprinkling the blood anyway, but on Shabbat, nevertheless, we're going to be more machmir about it. And so you would say, no, don't sprinkle it, even though it will help It will help to bring the, the, the sacrificial parts after Shabbat. Nevertheless, Shabbat, we're going to be more stringent. And so he can be reconciled with this as well. Uh, so this is curious to have a kashya and then the Beibetema, Maybe originally it was just kasha, period. And then someone else later said, no, let me help him out. And so added on, or if you want to say, we can also um, add uh, a, an answer for him. And so in the end, we're able to reconcile it, recon, reconcile it with, with everyone. And um, uh, it's always good to have a good, we saw a number of examples of being able to reconcile sources according to everyone. And this is, uh, works well in the spirit of, uh, of peace that Betilel uh, taught and uh, not, not the spirit of confrontation that the, those uh, students of Hillel um, are brought, but uh, really emerges the, the hero of the day is Baba Ben Buta, who went out of his way against, uh, against his own political party to support Bet Hillel and uh, thereby uh, made peace and established halacha like him.